History, Lecture 121, Rabbi Blywise. Um, we talked last time about Satmar, the great Satmar Rebbe. Um, we'll talk about Hasidus today, um, with the focus on Chabad. Uh, they seem to make an impact in the world, and we're trying to, as best we can, uh, understand our world. If you were to look up at the coast cell at any time and say, wow, what a plurality, a diversity of people, and how they all get this way, to try to explain the various phenomena of our modern world as best we can. So let's, as best we can, try to understand that the largest group of Hasidim in the world today, we said before, Satmar, um, they indeed are the largest in the United States today, um, followed by Babav, and after Babav, the Babav or Hasidim Chabad, yeah, they all are based in, in Brooklyn, although... We'll talk about them. We'll talk about the different major groups and some of the minor groups. And since there are hundreds and hundreds of groups, many of which are subdivisions of earlier uh, dynasties that fragmented, and uh, so it's confusing. And I will inevitably, in giving this over, neglect and over overlook certain, maybe some, maybe I'm overlooking certain significant groups. Of course, every group understands that their Rebbe is the Rebbe and the significant group, so I can't help but make that mistake. Um, uh, also, number four, I didn't say this, Skver, Skver Hasidim, um, which is not anglicized, usually spelled S-K-V-E-R, on new square products, which are connected to Skver Hasidim, it is spelled the anglicized version, Square, as it were. They're based in Rockland County, the others are based in Brooklyn, um, and have branches in lots of different places, certainly Chabad is, one, one associates Chabad with Crown Heights, um, not so far away, 770 and such. Uh, where you can find replicas in various uh, places around the world. You can find um, uh, not far from here in um, in uh, um, uh, Shlomo which is named um, after Shlomo Zalman Orbach. So it's named, uh, and I, I, I'm blocking on the name. There, there, there it's going again. I need your uh, yeah, SRS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ramat Shlomo, um, I think. I'm hesitant about that. Anyway, um, you can find a replica just around the corner here, you know, 20, 15, 20 minute drive away, and you can see the replica of 770, but we're getting the Chabad, which we'll have time for later on, Bezras Hashem. In Eretz Yisrael, the largest Hasidist is Ger, in Hebrew pronounced Gur, <coughs> Ger of Hasidim, um, Hasidic Gur, uh, followed by Vizhnitz, Chabad, Bells, Satmer, Breslav, Nadvorna, Toldos Aaron. Um, the breakdown into small groups, we said, is a byproduct of the dynastic system. For example, today you'll have at least four different Boston Rebbe's, which can be confusing. And of course, Boston itself is an offshoot of other. I mean, many. We already we talked about the Klausenberger Rebbe. It's really Klausenberg Sans, Sanser, Chassidim, um, all related to the complexities of ongoing dynasties that moved around a lot. The uh, okay. So Bob, Bobov is actually related to the last mentioned Sanz and Klausenberg. Related because once upon a time they were all one, it was all one that they bifurcated. Uh, the founder was Rav Shlomo Halberstam, who was the grandson of the original Sanzer Rebbe. Rav Chaim Halberstam was known by his great sefer, the Divrei Chaim, um, who himself, Rav Chaim um, uh, Halberstam, was the brother-in-law of the Minchas Chinuch, which we discussed here, right? The Minchas Chinuch. Um, right, which is the great 19th century commentary on the Sefer Chinuch. Uh, great way to learn, get understanding of basic, uh, everything to do with major questions of, of uh, halacha. What's that? When you say it's essential. Minchas Chinuch? Uh, it's certainly a core Sefer that people learn. I, I, I think I mentioned to you, Rav, um, uh, this, this came to me from a Bronze Spiegel, who was a primary. It was one of the primary students of Rav Soloveitchik from YU. When Rav, Rav Soloveitchik had Alzheimer's, advanced Alzheimer's, and he no longer recognized family and friends and students, uh, Rav Bronze Spiegel personally saw the Rav's lips moving, and he came close and he listened. What was the Rav saying? And it was sections of the Minchas Chinuch. Yeah. Anyway, back to Baba Verch, uh, Hasidis. The first yeshiva in Poland was often was opened by the first Baba Rebbe in 1881. Um, it was located in Vizhnitsa. Again, the confusion, which is not confused with Vizhnitz Chasidim, even though it was opened in the city of Vizhnitsa, uh, and then later moved to Babov. 
so if you're confused now, just wait. Um, the second uh, Baba Varebi was Rabension and his followers, he and his followers were all murdered in the Holocaust in the Shoah. Rabension's son was Rav Shlomo, very inspiring modern figure. He, together with 300 Hasidim, survived. They moved to Brooklyn, eventually to Borough Park, and they rebuilt spectacularly. One of the great success stories, even though we've heard several of these, very parallel stories, where the whole group is wiped out. We heard this by Breslau, we heard this by, um, we heard this by the Klausenberger, Sanzer Rebbe himself, and how the Jewish spirit to rise up and move on. Sadly, not everybody had this. A lot of people indeed were crushed by the events of their lives, and as much as um, we're not sitting in judgment, um, hard for us to understand how people, uh, you know, people make, respond, uh, and, and res uh, respond, are able to fight back when, when, um, when, they, when they endure tragedy. Uh, so the Baba Rebbe certainly fought back. He, um, he was known, among other things, he had a lot of accomplishments to his name. He was known for very refined mitos. He, uh, I always think of him when I'm eating soup. It was said about him in eating soup, which is hard to do with good meadows as it drips on your tie. He never lowered his face to the soup. He always elevated the food and he explained, and we saw this by Gidon testing the potential soldiers, that I, the, um, I don't take the spirituality and lower it to the level of physicality. Our job in this world is to elevate the physical to the spiritual. And so he did that symbolically in the way he, uh, the way he lived his life. He was known never, he was not a Balmachlokas to the opposite. He never took sides in a dispute. Um, he was ready for 50 years until his death in 2000. I remember when he died, a uh, big funeral. And um, he was known for his educational efforts before the war. When he came back, when he came over to Brooklyn after the war, he founded shuls and yeshivas and seminaries, summer camps. He was a great educator and builder. Uh, I, I, I'm picturing the Baba uh, community in Brooklyn. I was over to, I spent the Shabbos nearby, and I'm going to the massive mikveh complex, and uh, just being impressed. It's a, they, they've rebuilt the Torah there. Very, very uh, <clears throat> holy, holy uh, group of Hasidim, the Baba for Hasidim. Um, Skver is an offshoot of what's called Chernobyl Hasidis. Uh, who the Chernobyl, uh, the, the, the Square Rebbe, the original Square Rebbe, counted himself as a, di a direct descendant of the Baal Shem Tov. Uh, Square is known for, uh, they're stark, they're known for learning, Taira. Uh, they're known for beautiful tefillah, uh, and they are very simple. They move away from material pleasures in the world. They have a dynamic community in New Square in New York. We mentioned um, Ger before the Shoah was the largest, not only today is it the largest Hasidus in Eretz Yisrael, it was the largest Hasidus in Poland. Uh, Poland being one of the great centers of all of Jewry, 90% of Polish Jews were, were Hasidim, we remember, and so many of them were Ger Hasidim. Uh, there were three great founders, we've met them. They were so prominent, they, they certainly deserve their own little section in our discussion. Do you remember the, the first two? We spent some time with them. The first was the, um, we mentioned the Chidushi Arim, the brother-in-law of Rav Menachem Mendel of Kotsk, the Kotsk Rebbe. Um, his, remember how he and his grandson um, never left each other, and the grandson grew up in this incredibly austere, stark environment, and uh, as a young man, was, when, when his grandfather passed away, uh, was asked to take over, and he initially refused and eventually agreed the Sfas Emes. So that was the next uh, Ger Rebbe. Um, his son was the Imre Emes, and we went to his kever at the beginning of the year when we did a tour. He's buried in Machane Yehuda of, of all improbable places. But uh, that's, that's where he, he was buried, and that's part of a longer story uh, of the difficulty of finding good kosher graveyards uh, around the time of the establishment of the state. Uh, in the Imre Emes, 1926, his full name was Abraham Mordechai Alter, um, he established the first Hasidish yeshiva in Jerusalem. Can you believe that? It took till 1926. There wasn't a, 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 a Hasidic yeshiva or, or center in, in uh, Yerushalayim or Kodesh. He called it after the Sfas Emes. Uh, today it's the center of Hasid Egur in Eretz Yisrael, the Sfas Emes yeshiva. There um, over 200,000 Ger Hasidim perished during the Shoah. That's almost all of them. So here's another uh, rebuilding story. 
the Rebbe Beamer Emes escaped. He, um, he built what's considered today one of the largest educational networks in Eretz Israel. There are branches all over the world, literally. New York, Los Angeles, London, Antwerp, Zurich, Toronto. They are a dominant force as they, as they, as, since the Imre Emes and down. They're a dominant force in the Agudas Israel in Eretz Israel, which means if you follow politics, and uh, they're, they're, they're central in politics, but I guess in my mind, my, my image of all the, very gear, all the various Ger um, Rebbe's was, that therefore, they're very connected to the Dolim in general. So there's an increase, because it, for political expediency, for reasons, reasons necessity, uh, there was a need to team up. Uh, sometimes they, they had conflict and argument, but generally speaking, there's a need to make alliances so you hear of the closeness, the affection that exists between Rav Shach, uh, Rav Shach and, 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 and Rav Chaim, and, 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 and all the various uh, Gedolim with the Ger Hasidim. The, um, Rebbe of Bells was Rav Aram Rokeach. He too escaped the show in 1944. Uh, he also um, lost most of his following. Um, his is the story that I told uh, with outrage about the, uh, remember this, the, the man who studied Auschwitz, the uh, professor who um, told the story of how the Bells are Rebbe when they asked, when his facility asked him, they were frightened before the Holocaust, Rebbe, we don't know what we should do. Should we stay or should we leave? And he counseled them that, that uh, they should stay. And, um, they did, and they perished. And so that's what he told them, and he said, of course, the Rebbe got out. And that's the story he told the vulnerable group as we toured Auschwitz with the unmistakable message, that's what you get when you listen to your rabbis. Um, and, uh, and of course, afterwards, a more senior rabbi than me, uh, with, I, I imagine, smoke coming out of his ears in outrage at the little Hashem that was done by, by, by denigrating the Rebbe, um, one is in trouble for denigrating rebbies. You have to be careful. Uh, you have to be careful with that. I just have to learn more about that right now in Sanhedrin. In any case, the fact that he got out was not. The fact that he told him to stay was a reasonable uh, statement. You didn't know what was it Palestine looked like. Remember this? We talked about this. Yeah, we talked about. I thought we had. Yeah, Palestine looked questionable. Uh, Golden Medina was out. And um, the fact that he got out was Hashkocha Pratis. The fact that he could rebuild uh, so beautifully as he did near Israel from 1944. Um, he, the Bells was in Tel Aviv and then later Jerusalem. His nephew uh, is presently the Rebbe and they built internationally. You can see as you enter Yushalayim, the unmistakably large complex with the base Medrash that um, they claim does not, is not modeled in the base of Mikdash, although, and it's not exactly, it's not a replica for sure, but the implication, or the uh, resemblance, let's say, seems to be very strong between the two, and I, I, I've never been able to understand why, why such a structure would be built. Uh, when we only have one base in Mikdash. Um, okay, but in any case, um, I know the Kiruv events take place with bells uh, on, on Chag Masantayr, which is coming up in a few weeks. Uh, I don't know if they do this every year, but it's been done there where um, totally secular people come and are set in Chabrusa with Belzer Hasidim. Um, Munkach, Munkach Hasidis was, was originally Hungarian. Today it's based in Borough Park, the branches in Eretz Israel too, and around the world. Um, the original Rebbe was the Bnei Yisachar, with Tzvi Elimelech Shapira. Uh, the Hosea told him he was a descendant of Yisachar one of the 12 tribes. He himself was a student of the Chose, he was a student of the Nomeli Melech who we met. One of the Rebbe's was, was named Rav Chaim Alazar Spira, was the author of the Minchas Alazar, which was a series of Shailas and Shuvas. He was one of the more outspoken um, scholarly opponents of the Medina, of the state of Eretz Yisrael. He's, I mentioned him recently, the Minchas Alazar, because he's one that considers the fact that Rambam doesn't count Yishuva Aretz, Kibush and Yishuva Aretz as a mitzvah was intentionally. In fact, he understands the Rambam does not consider it a mitzvah when we don't have the base of Mikdash. And based on that and other, other sources, develops a very unusual uh, anti-Zionist um, stance on, what Jew, on, on the Jewish relationship to Eretz Israel nowadays. Um, the present Rebbe, Munkacha Rebbe, uh, inherited a Sefer Teira, the tradition is, from the Baal Shem Tov himself. Um, and today's Rebbe, every year on Simchas Torah, dances with it. 
and it's and it's the only time that they take out the Torah. It's a it's a phenomenon. It may be something to observe if you go down to uh, if you go down to Borough Park today. You can see uh, and you spend Simchas Torah there. It's something to see the Munkatcher Rebbe dancing with the Sefer Torah. Breslau, uh, we've mentioned. I'm going to mention it again. Uh, it's, the name Breslau comes from Rabbi Nachman, based in the town of Bratslav. Uh, Breslav is a variation. We often vary the names. The names of non-Jewish cities sometimes have roots in Avodah We try to alter that. Uh, today, 200 years later, as we've mentioned, there is no central living leader. Um, I know big rabbis who say that's the problem, that there isn't one figure who can um, limit the excesses of, of Breslav, the, the phenomenon of their dancing mindlessly in the streets. Um, is something that one hears prominent figures within Breslov today criticizing vehemently, but because there is no Rebbe, there's nobody to put an end to it. So it goes on. Um, the issue that there's no Rebbe, Rav Nachman famously himself opposed the notion of dynasty. He criticized, one of the reasons he was not endeared to other branches of Hasidism, he criticized the whole function of a dynasty uh, which he felt was not a meritocracy, and he was onto something. But the alternative, he didn't, or it, he, uh, the alternative was to have none, which which is their which is their uh, uh, situation today. Um, throughout the 19th century, they remained very controversial in um, Litvish, but really most Hasidic circles. Um, still, they grew in numbers. The uh, we we talked about Rav Nachman and his teachings as, as having an immense appeal. Uh, very deep, very resonant, the focus on Simcha. We, 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 we did discuss this once upon a time. My purpose here is to talk about what's going on in the contemporary movement. The um, Many, many were killed by Stalin in the Stalin's purges, even before the Shoah, and those who survived the purges uh, were, were, were later uh, massacred by the Nazis, and they too would regenerate. Uh, in, 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 you find Breslov in England, you find it in the United States, but it's most, it speaks to modern Israelis. And so one hears about it more than anywhere else in Eretz Israel today. One finds, let's say, a very strong Sephardi Balchuva contingent within Breslau uh, today. Rav Arush, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's his story too. He writes a lot of books that people uh, like. I don't know the books, I haven't reviewed them. I've never, I, I, and they don't seem to come with a hashkama, so I'm not sure if, they, if, I, if they're endorsable. Apparently, people. Uh, find a lot of inspiration from them. Anyway, one, um, there are a lot of Bali Chuba today. There's something about Breslau that speaks to the modern sensibility, uh, and maybe particularly the Sephardi sensibility. I, I would theorize, remember, Sephardi never consciously went off the derech. They were indoctrinated into the secular culture, but they look back at the secular with resentment. If they're not religious, and they have deep spiritual longings, and there's something uh, spiritually rich about Breslau that speaks to their neshama. And I, I think that that... that Partly explains the phenomenon today. The um, annual, what's called the kibbutz on Rosh Hashanah, attracts every year the numbers grow. Uh, in Uman, they go to Uman based on statements. Um, Rav Nachman said, Rosh Hashanah is greater than everything for me. I can't understand how it is my fathers, if they really believe in me, that they're not careful about being with me on Rosh Hashanah. He was said to have said, in the statement itself, one already hears elements of the parts of the um, of Reb Nachman's statements that are the most controversial, where he, he, he speaks about himself in elevated ways um, that are striking and question, and, and I hear my, my, my intense hesitation as I speak about this. Um, I don't understand several statements attributed to Rabbi Nachman. Either he didn't say them or he said them and I don't understand them. Um, because greater minds than mine have said that uh, they seem to court, they seem to be very close to Avodah Zarah's type, type statements in elevating the role of the Rebbe. And so they just don't, I, I haven't figured them out and I'm still seeking guidance on that and I haven't found it. I talked to somebody earlier this year whose response, smart person, and he had a very long, strong response, but his response actually strengthened my questions than really providing any, any satisfying answers. So I'm working this one out and I imagine that this will be one of my uh, later shirim, not for the sake of causing dissension, but just if it's a phenomenon in the world, I want to understand it um, and have greater clarity. The um, 
Certainly the trips to Uman are opposed by many gdolim. Ramavadi Yosef writes against them. Rukhaim Kanievsky, Ravili Yashik was against them. Now, here's where it gets tricky. What do the other gdolim say? We've, we've talked about, we talked about this with, with, in relation to Rav Cook and Rav, Rav, um, Rav uh, Yosef there. Dovder Soloveitchik at YU, we, we, um, a, a rabbi who stands alone is, a, is an issue. Something that, that if the other gedolim are distancing themselves from them, that tells you something already. So the question is, is, is Breslau something that's endorsed or not? That they um, assert that the gedolim hold by them. One of the back, one of their support texts is they cite, and there's a long list of prominent names who cite the Lakute Maharam or other other um, statements of Rav Nachman, uh, Eliezer has a section that's in the Mikhtab Miliahu and many, many others. Um, the question is, okay, so you cite a section, Rav Nachman is eminently quotable uh, in some of his statements. We've talked about our, our profound, rich, uh, but what about the other statements? Uh, I just saw now a source, a reputable source, a big Rosh Hashiva who was a Talmud of B'chazonish, who said that he talked about one particular phenomenon. One day he was walking with the Chazonish, and he asked the Chazonish a question about quoting sections, non-Hasidic oriented sections of uh, Rav Nachman, and the Chazonish said that that was okay. Based on that, he knew that there was a breast of Hasidim walking behind them, and from that point on, he heard quoted in his name and the name of Chazonish that, it was, that, that that was an endorsement, taken as an endorsement of Rabbi Nachman's teachings in general. Uh, and he said, he said, it's a lie. It's a lie. It's a very specific question, a very specific answer that Chazanish uh, responded. And there's no way to, to, to get from that that the Chazanish endorsed uh, teaching all of Rabbi Nachman's statements. Why there's silence is cause for discussion as well. Why isn't there, if there's a problem, why is that not just singled out and addressed? Um, there is a pamphlet that goes around that, um, called Anti-Breslov. I don't like the name. It sounds like he's a rebel monger. Sounds like he's making mischief. But he brings a lot of good sources that at least bring questions about certain aspects of Breslau Hasidus. So I bring this out uh, without without any resolution. I know that many people have become religious, come close to Kodesh Baruch through Breslau. I wouldn't send a student to their institutions personally because of this unresolved area. Um, the certain aspects of Rav Nachman's teachings and certain aspects of, of um, what goes on today um, that doesn't seem to be endorsed by the Gedolim. In fact, quite clearly, um, even if they claim that the Gedolim favor them, the Chafetz Chaim was quoted, against, again, off the record, by reputable sources. Uh, this is known, let's say, in Brisk Kolel, uh, and, and, and the, 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 the Brisk Rav and his sons refer to the fact that the son-in-law of the Chafetz Chaim, uh, Zaks, quotes the Chafetz Chaim as saying that there's no longer a cherem against Hasidus as there once was, as we learned here. The Graz cherem against all the Hasidus no longer pertains, except against Breslav and Chabad. Um, the phenomenon known as the Na Nachman Nachma Nachman Me'uman is a subdivision of Breslav criticized by other Breslavs. They have their own internal um, uh, discussions and debates. Uh, it's based on what was said to be a Kabbalistic formula, supposedly based on a note that Rav Nachman wrote. And of course, you can hear in my careful presentation, not so clear what its legitimacy it, it is, if, if, if anything. Um, the idea that they've reduced sublime teachings to what are sometimes popular uh, um, silliness and songs uh, if you really do learn the um, what I imagine were the, were the beautiful pieces of the Lukute Maram that the uh, student of the Chazanish was quoting, Rav Harovitz was quoting um, you would think wow this is such deep Tyra and then to have that associated with mindless dancing in the street uh, the two don't seem to go together um, the rest of today I'd like to talk about Chabad was anybody here? I pitch hit. I you were you were in the discussion in. I substituted for Ben Shushan once upon a time. Daniel, Aaron, you weren't there. Okay, so for Barack, my apologies. A little repetition. Um, I have made a couple new things, but I think mostly I said what I said then. Uh, but I tend to repeat myself since we're so much. We give so much information. Some of it is worth repeating. Okay, uh, Menachem Mendel Snirson was the seventh. 
and at least as of now, the, the last of the in the dynasty from the times of the Balatanya, uh, in the line of the Balatanya, um, his goal was very upfront. He strove to accelerate Biyas Mashiach. We want Mashiach, we want Mashiach now. One often hears is a refrain in, in the world of Lubavitch. Um, his, what he built from becoming Rebbe, as he did in the early 1950s, he told his following, which would grow exponentially. Uh, he was a very dynamic, uh, effective leader, uh, attracted, attracting many, many Bali Tshuva and, and others um, to his fold. He told people that they're going to build not a, not a group, but an army. It's an ar- army in, in, in bringing people closer to a Kaddish Baruch Hu by way of Chabad, by way of Hasidus. Um, he trained and ordained thousands of rabbis, uh, educators, professionals, shochti, moalim, everybody who could make Jewish practice institutionalized anywhere in the world. Often, the one person had all of these skills. So they could go to the far reaches wherever Jews might be found, wherever Jews might even be backpacking. And we hear about the tragedy in Nepal now, and, um, and of course the Beit Chabad is there hosting the many Israeli backpackers and other, other Jews who are in need of shelter. And that was all an emanation of the Rebbe's thinking. Um, the men, it, there was a system, it was all procedure. Usually from a young age, people would be groomed to go into uh, this, this work, to become, become rabbis. Often they would leave in their early 20s, uh, young couples, he, they and their wives and young families, they would uproot their families and move wherever the Rebbe chose. He sent them, he sent them far and wide. It was a tremendous act of trust, uh, certainly in Kaj Baruch Hu, but also in the Rebbe, the Rebbe's discretion, wherever they would go, they'd be isolated. They would be the source of kosher food, kosher mikvahs. They would build it wherever they would go. Uh, the goal, of course, was to be Makarib Jews to observance. Um, Sunday, the next topic that we'll do, how, we'll, how much we'll get through in Chabad today, the next topic we're going to do is the modern Baal Tshuva Kiruv movement, which to some degree owes a debt, but it certainly is connected to the Rebbe's great efforts in this department. What I said then, and I'll say it now for the record, is I try to teach the messy version of history, which means I'm trying not to be black and white. Those aspects that deserve to be criticized and that were criticized, I'm not the source of the criticism. I'm going to be quoting Rav Shach and the other Gadolmi who have criticism. Um, but um, but I, I'm going to bring those out. But I have no problem saying the positive either. So I, I know that that is tricky for some people to listen to because they assume they're used to hearing diatribes or conversely, um, you know, people, uh, um, let's say, let's say um, what's the expression I'm looking for? Uh, diatribe or, or invective where, they're, where, they're, where it's all a criticism or the opposite, a... Um, where everything is painted in glossy terms. It's a, it's a promotional piece. There's another term I'm looking for. It's a promotional, promotional piece, which is black and white. It's all good and all bad. I, I see there's lots of good and lots that's problematic in Chabad. The good is unmistakable. I'm personally not right now in Kathmandu. And there are people there who are, who are facilitating mitzvahs, and who knows if some of those secular Israelis are looking at the great chesed that are being done by the rabbi and his wife and thinking, wow. They're amazing. Maybe I should go explore some more Tyra. Kol HaKavod, amazing. That's a Kiddush Hashem. Uh, period. No but on that one. Um, they also have an original, I've debated some people about this. I'm not sure how to see it. If it's all positive or all negative, it seems to me odd. Um, they are among the only Jews today doing, I mean, it's really missionary work, uh, preaching to non-Jews to become um, B'nai Noach. Not to go Jewish, we don't proselytize in that way, but that the non-Jews should actually accept formally the Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noach. I know that there was an event in Bloomfield Stadium outside of Jaffa, near Tel Aviv, a few years ago, where they had a whole public uh, concert and a public display where um, Arabs, neighbors of mine from Abu Ghosh, uh, formally accepted upon themselves to be B'nai Noach. They've always been the most friendly. Very much the Rebbe's idea. Again, it's all part of bringing Mashiach. Those areas, those oh, yeah, Abu Ghosh is a little different than the rest. It's true. What's what? What? On the one hand, what could be the problem? Terrific. Let's have them. I mean, that's the best. Short of becoming Jewish, isn't that the highest aspiration we would have for non-Jews? They should accept the Shevet Mitzvah Benenach. 
and we know it's a higher level of somebody who formally accepts them. Greater is the one who's commanded and takes it upon himself as a mitzvah than those who just happen to keep the seven mitzvahs. That's a good level too, but not nearly as high. And so what would be the problem with this? My question is, is that who said and where do we see that this is even an imperative, some kind of a, a goal for what we're trying to do, that we should be actively working for this? There is, conversely, certainly this idea within Judaism. We do Kiruv within Judaism. That goes back to Avram Avinu and Sari Amenu. Uh, we certainly do Kiddush Hashem in the eyes of the Goyim, that we, we proactively go after them in, 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 is, is, is a Kiddush. And a Kiddush usually is a question in the Torah world, I would think, because things have to have a source. Who said? Menalacha. Where, 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 where do you see that in the Talmud? We're supposed to go act, proactively recruiting B'nai Noach from the non-Jews? Where, where, which Dafa Gemara is that? I, I haven't found it. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. I don't know. Um, the project continues long after his death. His dates were 1902 to 1994. Uh, he had 10 mitzvahs. This is an abbreviated version of the shir I gave then. If you're interested in the shir, it's, I, I have it online too. Uh, he had 10 mitzvahs that he promoted. You see them you know, helping you facilitate people keep, uh, tying to fill, uh, right, tying to fill in at the cell, but it's all over at airports and so on. They had their, they had their mitzvahs that they, that they um, were famous for spreading far and wide. Um, the project continued long after his death. 21 years later now, uh, the movement itself is greatly divided, and I'm going to get to those divisions because that's very practical and important. Now, today, the headquarters of Chabad are in Crown Heights. We mentioned a few minutes ago, even though they have a okay, Crown Heights. It, it claims to be the largest Jewish organization in the world. Um, I'm always skeptical of superlatives like that. I don't know how you define organization, largest, who, who counts, I don't know. But okay, let's give them that. The largest Jewish organization in the world. How do you um, put together the statistics? They claim there is there are 3,300 institutions in over 950 cities in 75 countries. Others say, no, no, it's more like 1,500 in many fewer cities, right, in far fewer countries. And it's not a debate that particularly interests me, but I, you, know, you have to sometimes be skeptical. They're promoting themselves. That's what they do, a very active missionary kind of a movement, and so naturally they're going to uh, quote the highest figures and not necessarily substantiate them. They claim to have 200,000 adherents. Um, they're thought to be the third or, largest, th third or fourth largest Hasidus in the world in terms of adherence itself. I, what does that mean exactly? We know that many, can you picture your local friendly Chabad, Aaron, right? You can picture where you daven. Um, how many of those people are, are um, absolutely Chabad in your shul? Of the people in your shul, they say, I'm a Chabad Jew. How many, what percentage of the shul, or how many numbers would you guess? Just the Rebbe. Yeah. Nobody in the shul itself. That's not uncommon, what you're saying. In Calabasas, where you are. It's the same in Potomac. Same in Potomac. He, he, and those people come, because they provide, and it's warm, and, well, the Kiddush spread, wow. They put out quite a spread, and so on. There are. There are absolutely Chabad communities. And also, it's... it's Right, there's shuls that are absolutely Chabad. There are also shuls that are, there are variations in between, too. There are places where a few of the people become Chabad. It's a process. But now, what goes into this number 200,000? Are they counting you? Maybe. Because, you know, if your family belongs to the shul, then maybe that's true, too. I was pointing out how the numbers could be, could be parsed in lots of different ways. Um, regardless of this, again, not, not our central question... Uh, there's a question about um, what is their aim? Is it actually pure Kiruv? If Kiruv can be defined as trying to bring people under the Kanthi Ashrina, under the wings of, of Akadosh Baruch Hu's um, great Shrina, and keeping Torah and Mitzvos, um, I, I know this has come up in, what, in the field that I worked in, in, in campus Kiruv, because on college campuses, you have a few different organizations, especially in large Jewish campus, uh, campuses. You have different organizations vying for the students' interest. You have the Hillel House, you have the pluralistic groups out there, but in terms of the Torah world, often you have the campus Kiruv figures trying to set up, uh, you know, let's say, let's say yeah, JAM, the organization in Southern California that has a very elaborate, uh, Asia Torah has their, has their set up, there's, a, there's um, a smaller organization, the very impactful Mahor or Gershenfeld connected to Machon Shlomo, 
uh, and Orsamech is very tiny in this regard, but there are other organizations out there doing, doing great work, and then you have Chabad. And sadly, on some of the campuses, they come at loggerheads. They, they're, they're in conflict. They have different agenda. And some of the critics, some of the other non-Chabad groups say, they're not so sure that all the Chabad, and Chabad itself is varied, so I'm not, please don't accept this as a generalization. No two campuses are alike. But there is a phenomenon of some of the Chabad houses on campus providing immense services for their students. Free laundry machine, pizza night, free kosher pizza. But not necessarily learning, and not even trying to move the students towards learning, towards trip to Israel, more, this is your place when you need a Jewish center. And the, the uh, assertion is, is that Chabad is trying to establish its hegemony. We're the place so that when the Mashiach comes, or according to the Messianic aspect of Chabad, Mashiach already is here, um, when the Rebbe reveals himself, according to them, then everybody will realize Chabad is the central address. Whereas, let's say, Kiruv, and the other groups that I mentioned before, sign the kids up for trips to Israel, send them to yeshiva or seminary in Israel, get them going from point A to B to C towards Shabbos observance and then more, and towards becoming B'nai Torah, ideally. Move the people along as, as best you can without being too pushy. Cube is a whole other discussion. But, um, okay, what Chabad is doing, what others are doing is not always synonymous, is a fair, is a fair point. Um, Ironically, I'm going to talk about Chabad in tandem with one of the great figures of the 20th century because he's associated with fighting the excesses, the problems within Chabad, the problems within the Rebbe. Um, so I'm going to introduce now a great figure who certainly will be mentioned in other contexts too because of his impact. His name is Rebbe Lazar Menachem Manshach. His dates are 1898, so he's actually four years older than the Rebbe, and he lived seven years longer. He lived till 2001. Okay, he lived 103 years. And um, he's the most noted critic of the Rebbe and of, of Chabad. He actually led Klal I'll give you a little bit of Rav Shach too. You should know who he is. He led Klal Yisrael for the last 40 years of his life uh, as, as, as the Gadol Hador in many ways. Uh, I mean, it really emerged as such. He was the founder of the... Um, when Hasidim and Litvish worlds split, he was the founder of what was called Degel Torah. That today is united with Agudas Yisrael, which is Chabad, which is excuse me Hasidic, but he's the founder of Degelator. He's the founder of a newspaper called Yated Me'eman, which um, is uh, a dominant newspaper in the Yeshivish world. Uh, he wrote his perush on guess what? Mishnah Torah. When in doubt, you can always guess Mishnah Torah on the Yad Chazaka called the Avi Ezri. When you go, you went to his kever yesterday. You went to the Bnei Brak. You didn't go to the kever. Oh, really? You went to Bnei Brak without the basic faros? Ah, painful. Okay, I'm glad I didn't go yesterday. I would have been, I would have been, uh, I would have been, okay, let's go to the beach. Ah, go to Bnei Brak without visiting. Anyway, on his, on his cavern, you see the Abi Ezri. Um, one day you'll go to Bnei Brak and do it properly. Go to Panovich, see, see what there is. It's immense Torah, the capital of the world, one of the capitals of the world. It's not Yushalayim, but it's, it's certainly huge. The, um, he had learned, the Rav Shach had learned with the Altar Slobodka. He was one of the favorite students of Rav Isra Zalman Meltzer, we've mentioned a lot. Uh, and in fact, he married Rav Isra Zalman Meltzer's, uh, one of his nieces. Um, when he was engaged, I mentioned this in the marriage class, when he was engaged, he missed, Daniel, get this. How many starring have you missed this year? Don't say. Uh, he missed, count them, one Seder. Of all of his starim, morning, afternoon, and evening, he missed one seder. Which seder? The night of his wedding. The next morning, his chavrusa didn't come to the base medrash. Ah, it's the next morning after the wedding, and my chavrusa is not going to show up. And about about nine o'clock, there was a pounding at his door. Where are you? Rav Shach was ready to learn. Torah's Torah. Uh, in early 1940, he followed his Rebbe to Eretz Yisrael, to Rebbe Zaman Elser, to the Eitz Chaim Yeshiva. Eventually, he would be Rosh Yeshiva there. Later, he moved to Panovich. You can go visit Panovich. You can see Rav Shach's, uh, where, where he used to live. Uh, he not only founded Degel Hatayra, did anybody know he founded another religious party? Shas. Uh, Right, people don't always realize because oh, Rav Avadi founded Shas. No, actually, that was Rav Shach. He was an early, he was a guide in the formation of Shas. And we'll talk about Shas. Right. Well, it's they're Jewish and they're from, and that's a concern to all from Jews. 
And Rav Shach understood that the, Sephard, the great Sephardi population of Eretz Israel was disenfranchised, disenfranchised, not recognized, and wouldn't necessarily vote for the Ashkenazi representation in the Knesset because they didn't always identify. Remember, many Sephardi Jews in Eretz Israel aren't religious themselves. Um, externally, identifiably, so to vote for an, uh, an identifiably Haredi party might not be something they would gravitate to, but, it, but to vote for an identifiably Sephardi party after the immense persecution, we talked about the 1950s and the Yemeni kidnappings and the, and the, and the, 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 the forced indoctrinated uh, you know, conversion of, of Sephardi Jews to the secular Ashkenazi uh, mainstream, um, they were resentful, so Shas was a great idea. It wasn't only Rav Shas' idea, but he was one of the major early guides uh, of, of the movement. Um, very, very impactful. I mean, Shas came to power in the 11th Knesset in 1984. We'll talk about it. Um, he was also, and I mentioned this before on tours, he was also very vocal in his criticism of the whole settler movement, Yehuda Shomron, Gaza Strip, uh, and, and otherwise, he said, um, he said he found that the settler movement was a blatant attempt to provoke the international community, and he was not on board. Um, he said, our, our, if that, if clearly a messianic movement, if they're trying to be Mashiach, they'd do better, I'm paraphrasing, they'd do better if they sat in the base medrash. Uh, he himself was the epitome of a masmid, selfless, oh, when kids would go visit him, even when he was really old and, and, and unwell, he personally made sure to get up and go get candy for the kids. He, um, he was an old Yisrael. He, as uh, one time the story goes, he was um, the driver. He, he was driven from place to place. He didn't drive himself. Uh, and on the way to some simcha or something that he had to go to, uh, he made the driver stop. The vendor by the side of the road, a secular vendor he, he, selling watermelons at a watermelon set, the stand collapsed, and Rav Shach st stopped so that he could help him pick up the watermelons and put them back. Rav Shach was not of great, not of huge uh, stature and old, and, and he didn't stop him. He personally did acts of chesed. He traveled from Bnei Brak to Yerushalayim to personally do the mitzvah. Uh, I encourage you to read the long account in the Mechitzasam in, in Our Shadow by Rav. Um, of Lawrence about Rav Shach. Uh, he's, and for our purposes right now, he's one of the few to oppose the messianic aspects of Chabad openly. He wasn't the first, but he was the most outspoken and the most consistent. Uh, there's a legend, others have renounced it. The fact that it's out there, I, I talk about legends here too because they themselves take on a life of their own, that when asked what religion was closest to Judaism, Rav Shach answered Chabad. Um, but it's, it's a mistake to take this very serious topic and reduce it to a one-liner. Um, it was a very serious situation from the 1970s and until uh, Rav Schneerson died in 1994. Um, he accused the Rebbe of fomenting a cult of false messianism around himself. Rav Shach said, I mean, which Chabad's powerful. And there have been episodes in which individuals have been subjected to violent intimidation. Uh, so to do this, to really assert himself, took a lot of took a lot of Yerushalayim. And he said, he said, yeah, you have to. If there's a dangerous movement affecting Klal Yisrael, you have to speak out. He said, false messianism. The Rebbe builds it around himself. Um, he felt that Chabad was guilty of the same issue that we talked about the other day of forcing the coming of the Mashiach, being dochek esakates, like Bar Kochva, like before, uh, that the Medrash singles out, um, and that that was wrong. Um, there were, even while Rav Shneerson was alive, some in Chabad who proclaimed him the Mashiach, and at that point, this is already in the late 70s, early 80s, Rav Shach called for a complete boycott of Chabad and all its institutions. 1988, he actually went a step further. He said the, he said the Rebbe was a Mashiach Sheker, a false Messiah. He compared it to Shabtai Tzvi. He said uh, uh, he prohibited eating meat slaughtered by Lubavitch Shochtim. Um, I'll explain how this comes out, how the other postmen have understood, because with the divisions in Chabad today, it comes out a little differently. So I'll try to um, explain, as I understand it, by way of Rav Aaron Feldman of uh, the Rosh Hashiv of Ner Yisrael, how most Jews 
look at different se- look at look at how the rabbis look at the uh, different sectors of Chabad today. Um, Rav Schneerson, for his part, seems to have said um, there's a lot to say on all of this that the uh, essence and being of a Shem, excuse me, a Rebbe, and who's a Rebbe if not himself? He says a Rebbe, the figure of the Rebbe, is the essence and being of a Shem placed into a body. Rav Shach said that statement was explicit about Azara. Um, in the early 90s, when the Rebbe was very unwell, his followers sang, among other things, Yechi Adonenu Moreinu Verabenu Melech HaMashiach Leolam Va'ed, Long live our master, our teacher, and our rabbi, the king, the, mes- the Messiah, forever and ever. And the Rebbe's response was, seems to have been, he was silent, but he made hand motions on the side, meaning, kind of like the Queen of England raving kind of a thing, where, good, in, seeming to encourage this. He didn't take part in the singing, but he was unwell. He could have, he was well enough, certainly, to do this, to shake his hand, no, no, don't do this, this is not right. He did not oppose it. After he died, some followers placed very famous full-page ads in the New York Times declaring in the Rebbe's name that the Mashiach's arrival was imminent. Uh, There's a whole phenomenon within Chabad that that, um, you can consult the Rebbe in his grave and he'll give you answers and they have a whole approach to this. I elaborated on this in the Shir. There's much more to be said about all this. I'm giving an overview. Um, There are excellent articles uh, that really... Uh, do this topic very well. I refer you to the Eye of the Storm by Rev Feldman. Uh, the Rosh Hashiva tells Yeshiva has a has, uh, definitive article from 1998 and, and elsewhere. Um, the groups in Chabad today are hard to define clearly because I think it's more of a spectrum than clearly defined groups. So that on the far, on one far extreme, you have the most problematic. On the other far ex- uh, extreme, you have the least problematic and everything in between. And it's anybody's guess exactly where you draw the line. But clearly, the most problematic element, there's some in Chabad who say that I never knew that these existed. They deny that such a thing exists, but it exists. There are those who are sometimes called the Elokistim, the, um, who call the Rebbe Moreinu Boreinu, Chas Shalom, our Rabbi, our Creator, who make, don't, don't even hold back in making him to a full scale of Odazara. Um, they educate their young to daven to the Rebbe, not to Hashem. It's, cla- it's certifiable idolatry. Um, that's one group, however large, however small they exist. A much larger group, somewhere in the middle, somewhere in, on the, on, I don't know which side you want to put this, right or left, but somewhere uh, closer to, to um, somewhere less problematic, but not much, uh, is referred to as Mishichistim, Messianic Chabad. In some way or another, they consider to him to have been Mashiach. They believe that he never died, or alternately that he will return as Mashiach. And then there's another group, and again, how large, it's unclear, that strongly opposes the other groups and says that they're doing a disservice to the Rebbe in the name of Chabad and to the teachings of Chabad, and they undermine all of the credibility of Chabad. Each group certainly claims to represent normative Chabad, so go figure, go do a study and get actual demographics, good luck to you. Uh, you know, get the statistics exactly who's who, because you'll never get clear answers. I mentioned that there's a, you know, somebody who I feel close to, a fine person, uh, who was in my tour guide training class, big Tommy Kaufman, talented tour guide, um, who, you know, you get close to somebody, I, I love him, but we never really talked. So I really don't know where he is in terms of Chabad. I know he's Chabad. That's, that's as much as I know, and I didn't press, I didn't ask none of my business exactly where he holds, um, but that's the way it is in the world today. I think in our group, if let's say somebody was a Messianic um, or Elohisti Chabad, he would hold his cards closely to himself. He wouldn't talk about it. Because clearly, in, in, with knowledgeable Jews, um, such things are problematic to, to, say, to say the least. I'll, I'll say I'll say what it is, what how how we how we understand this. Um, for the first group, the Elokistim, um, most poskim today would say that their shlita, if they if they shecht meat, it's puzzle. It's no good. You can't eat their meat. Their edus is not edus. If there's a rabbi who oversees a wedding, it's an, it's it's a, not a valid wet marriage. Uh, they don't count in a minion, and one should have nothing to do with them. It's a bodhisattva. Um, that's less problematic because it doesn't come up so much. You hopefully won't, won't encounter that. What's more 
of an issue is the Messianic group. And here it's tricky. I don't know. Uh, sometimes it's not so clear where they hold. And if you are connected with Chabad, I encourage you to try to find out more um, what the status is. Um, the way Rav Feldman summarizes it, he says, this group is not, they're not apokorsim, meaning they're not heretics. Therefore, their shechita, their, their, their meat is okay, their agus is valid, they count in a minion. However, their beliefs are wrong and their lies that the Rebbe's Mashiach, does not, he's not Mashiach. Um, we don't, there's no such thing as a dead Mashiach, something that they try to defend, but there's no basis for it in our sources. Uh, their beliefs undermine the halachic view of Mashiach. You don't have to look very far to realize that, that, that they have a new definition. Um, they cite a Rashi in Sanhedrin, the Mashiach will come from among the dead and he'll be like Daniel. But it's a stretch, nobody ever said that. It said after the fact, because they they've started with their belief and now they're looking for sources to justify it. Um, because they have mistaken beliefs, it's forbidden to support them. You should um, not go to their shuls. Uh, their halachic status is their becheskas amehaaretz. They're like ignoramuses, which means that you can't ask for their psak, psak halacha, um, and even topics that are not related to Mashiach. Uh, you shouldn't attend the lectures of such a person, they could influence you. Uh, <coughs> it's tricky. Tricky stuff. It creates kind of a McCarthyist feel of who's who and is he this kind of Chabad or that kind of Chabad. It's an unfortunate reality of the world. It's one of the reasons why we dive in for the real Mashiach to come uh, speedily and, and, and resolve these, 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 um, these hard issues that, that confront Jews today. Um, when asked, um, when Rav Simcha Vassaman, the son of Rav Elchanan, we, we dive in by his kever, when he came to Or Sameach near the end of his life in the late 80s, and he was asked about the non-elokisti, non-meshichisti Chabad, meaning the main, the, 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 the good Chabad, the non-messianic Chabad, uh, what is their status as far as he sees? And his response was, we're all soldiers in Hashem's army doing different tasks. I told this story by, by, by Simplis Kever um, because standing nearby, story, standing nearby was a conservative rabbi who piped up and said, we're all soldiers in Hashem's army. He asked, he asked Rav Vassaman, um, if that's true, what does that make me? And without missing a beat, Rav Simcha was said to have responded. He said, you're one of the soldiers that went AWOL, missing in action in the Kodesh Barber's army. Um, lest you think that it was just Rav Shach, Rav Yaakov Weinberg, the Sri De Aish, uh, we haven't really focused on. He, um, you know of him because he wrote the famous uh, tshuva addressing leniencies in hearing a woman's singing voice, but many others as well, posted in Europe after the Holocaust. So the Sri Aish told a student uh, who asked him, he was in a place where there was either a Chabad shul uh, or I have to daven alone. What should I do, Rebbe? So the Sri Aish paskin, he said, daven alone rather than a shul. He said, and I guess the shul must have been messianic because he said, they dive into a different deity. It's not our God. So better just dive in alone, which I think is a relevant sack for a lot of people in a lot of places in the world today. And you could just claim that it's messianic? I don't know. I don't know the context because of the question, or I understand by saying this, I think, as Rudy was saying this, directed towards that particular instance. So it's just a stam God you may have there? If it's... If it's a Stam Chabad, meaning Stam, meaning not Messianic, it would seem that you should dive in there. If it's not, you shouldn't dive in there. And you have to figure that out. Um, <clears throat> that was the Shri Deish. Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky famously um, was in Toronto, and he was asked by uh, a non from Jew, somebody who was Machal Shabbos, so that he went over to Rav Yaakov and he said, if the Rebbe was Mashiach, I would like to know, if he's Mashiach, I'm prepared to start keeping Shabbos. So he asked Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky for his answer. So I don't know, you know, I don't know if you've been trained in Kiruv, but it would seem, wow, golden opportunity, bring another Jew into the fold. Have another Jew start keeping Shabbos, Givaldic. But Yaakov did not say that. He said Mashiach, his response was, he was not Omid Lavo, not imminently coming and clearly indicated the Rebbe was not Mashiach. So afterwards, the students, onlookers, asked him, and they said, well, 
why not have this man start keeping Shabbos? Isn't that worth everything? The Jews are keeping Shabbos, Mashiach will come, no? So, um, so Rav Yaakov was explained, I'm quoting him. This understanding that the Chabad people have is an imaginary understanding. In the near future, when this Jew sees that the Mashiach has not come, he will begin to desecrate Shabbos again. There's conditional acceptance. He'll, he'll realize he'll be let down and he'll go back to the old way. He said worse. It'll be worse for him. Until now, he believed with simplicity in Biasa Mashiach, like all Jews, deep down believe the Mashiach's coming. But if he's disappointed, and now we in history, right, those of us who survived Jewish history together and have seen what, is, what, is, what the false messianic figures have wrought and done for the Jewish people, um, so he'll be disappointed and he'll lose faith in one of the most important foundations in Judaism, which is the belief in Bias Mashiach, which is this linear notion of history, that there's a beginning, middle, and end. He said, better that he keep Shabbos for the right reasons, but not for the wrong reasons. Um, so Rav Shach was outspoken. And so it's striking, the following story, that um, when Rav Schneerson fell ill in Panovich, he had them say Tehillim for the Rafur Shlema of Rav Menachem Mendel Schneerson. And there too, they asked, so you're, you're saying Tehillim, you want the Rafur of, 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 of the Lubavitcher Rebbe? And Rav Shach said, yes, of course. My battle is against his is um, his erroneous approach, his derech lotovah, the fact that he's taking a bad way, he said, I, it's against the movement. Uh, I have nothing against him or any of the people in any personal way. Uh, I pray that the Rebbe should recover completely, should have a shlema, at the same time I daven that he should make tshuva, and he should abandon his invalid approach to Judaism. Um, Rav Shach, in sticking his neck out, to criticize the excesses of Chabad um, was criticized. And you can imagine in the 20th century, to criticize another Jew is to be, I'm going to use the word, I hope I don't offend anybody here, it's a terrible word in the 20th century pluralistic mindset. He was called intolerant. Uh, and it doesn't look good, because you, you understand my facetiousness here. To be called intolerant, that means you're not pluralistic, you're not, you're not embracing, your, you're a hater, is what they call today, right? You're a hater, not a lover. We're supposed to be lovers in the world. It, it's so ironic. You picture the, the, the image of Rishach, who was the most gracious, generous, oh, of Yisrael. He criticized, he criticized the phenomenon of Ashkenazi yeshivas who discriminated against Sephardim. He loved all Jews equally, in every, in every which way. But sometimes when something comes out and speaks in the name of Judaism that's simply wrong, you have to rise up and the of the door has to rise up and say it. And he, he, he said, he said, the Americans, I'm quoting Rav Shach again, the Americans think that I'm too controversial, that I'm too divisive. In, in a time though when no one else is willing to speak up on behalf of our true tradition, I feel obligated to do so. And he's not the first of all. Cutler spoke up against them, but he was certainly the most outspoken. Um, he also was accused of being anti-Hasidic, which was a terrible slur, a terrible uh, insult. It couldn't be further from the truth. Um, he said uh, he was accused of being against Chabad Hasidists from earlier generations. He said that couldn't be farther from the truth. Uh, so what did he say? He said we're fighting, um, we're fighting against secularism in the yeshivas. He said, today people are in Tyra, in Hasidish and Lithuanian yeshivas. In my view, there's no difference between them. All of them are important and dear to me. All of them are Kedoshim. Uh, some of the best students in Panovich were, were Hasidish students from all different kinds of Hasidists. There's no difference as far as Roshach saw. They're all good Jews doing great things. Um, someone once gave Roshach a bracha. They said, after 120 years, Rebbe, uh, when you go to Shemayim, you'll be zoche to get a warm handshake from the Vilna Gaon. Vilna Gaon, who we associate with being uh, the leader, uh, or at least the figurehead in the struggle against original Hasidists. So, Eber Rav Shach is a contemporary incarnation of uh, the Gaon's struggle, at least. Um, and so, and so, you know, you'll, you will get, you'll, you will receive a warm handshake from the from the Vilna Gaon. So, Rav Shach answered. He said, "The Gaon will shake my hand." 
He said, the Balatanya will be the one to shake my hand. And I'll explain in case it's not clear, very, very uh, perceptive point. He, he, was, he felt that the Rebbe had gone off the derech from the um, Chabad derech, from the Lubavitcher derech, that the, the Balatanya himself would never have tolerated the excesses of the mess messianic movement. That we want Mashiach, we want Mashiach imminently. Uh, that's always been the Jewish credo. But um, there are certain songs that are sung. Um, the, the, the Avram Fried is a wonderful singer. I think the Chabadnik, I don't know which kind of Chabad, but I think he has a song about Mashiach. I know uh, some of my Rebbe's when I was at YU said we shouldn't sing that one. Because it's, the, even though the song itself just talks about Mashiach coming, something Jews all dream about, but with Chabad, maybe there's the overtone that's not appropriate, that needs to be, we need to somehow, because of the excesses in the world, one has to distance themselves. And at the same time, somehow love Chabad and value what they're doing in other areas of life. I think all, all of that is possible, maybe a little complicated. Uh, on Sunday, we're going to talk about the Balchuva movement as, as, as it is, such, such as it is today.